Hey everybody, welcome to Public Access America's Just the Tip. It's just simply, once people know somebody that has a little bit of a say-so or is seen as having a little bit of power or whatever, is watching what they're doing, they do it right. And yes, accountability, I, I, I absolutely believe there's a place for the people that are outside on bullhorns, screaming and yelling, climbing, climbing, whatever, doing all of those things. I absolutely, absolutely believe in their right and that there is a place for that. But I have chosen because of my lived experience to look out for the people that are still caught up in these systems that we're going after Agreed. and to help make a change from the inside. And I don't think that we should be at war with each other because no. I'm not doing it your way or you're not doing it my way. As Agreed. long as our end goal is the same, right? Yeah. Like we're all trying to get to the same destination. We're just taking different routes. Right. Yep. And that's okay. It's time now for something positive. We might be headed to the promised land the of promised speaking land, the truth the land, and finding our external liberty once we internally liberate ourselves. Problem can only be solved when there is a kind of coalition of conscience. Of conscience. Because conscience. that is how it works. This is the beginning, it is not the finale. And that's why we're here. And that's why we rally, 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 rally. We've got to be that creative minority. Creative minority. Creative minority. Find a way to get in the way. I got in trouble. It was good trouble. It was necessary trouble. Frankly, I know we've got to do something. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Public Access America. My name is still Jason. His name is still Jeffrey. And we're here every week to talk about the week. And this week, we have a, just a great friend and guest joining the show all the way from Pennsylvania. In fact, more specifically, all the way from District 182 in Pennsylvania. And uh, we're just going to talk about what's going on in Pennsylvania and in the races there and have some fun, have an open discussion and get to know just a candidate that I discovered on Twitter at Public Access Pod. We retweet Emily's list pretty heavily because we support Emily's list. Go support them. And uh, we had a tweet pop up, and it was Deja. And I, I just, I just read, I read everything. I just, I learned everything, and I was just so excited. Hi, Deja. I'm sorry. I don't want to keep you waiting. Why don't you introduce yourself a little better than I can, and then let me know what's top of mind uh, for you this week. Hi, Jason. Hi, Jeffrey. Um, good morning. Well, it's afternoon now for everybody, for those that are listening. Uh, my name is Deja Alvarez. I am currently running for uh, state representative in Pennsylvania, the 182nd district, which is which encompasses most of Center City, Philadelphia. Okay. Um, I am a very proud trans Latina woman. Um been running this race actually my one year anniversary of when i announced just passed wow and so been in this race for uh, a year now and it we have about two weeks left before the primary election and so we're we're trying to finish strong um i mean of course we're trying to win so of course yeah <laughs> mm -hmm. and if elected i will be the first uh trans person in the pennsylvania um legislator and then i will be the first trans latina legislator in the nation and I, i'm excited to have you here i 
I was looking at your resume and it has more acronyms than Jeffrey has degrees. So I was super <laughs> excited about that. I, that's the problem is I never know where to start with somebody with so many accomplishments. You are such an amazing advocate and I appreciate that. So I appreciate candidates like you and I'm just so amazed. So just so amazed to have you here, Jeffrey, did you have any questions to start off? No, I want to, I want to, I want to jump in with Deja and, and find out what's top of mind. And and then of course, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. you know, let's, let's, let's get this rolling. I mean, I, I definitely will have some questions, but <laughs> let's, <too>. let's, <laughs> let's, let's see where things, let's think, let's see where things go organically first. Okay. So what's top of mind for me right now? Mm-hmm. Um, one, I'm a little tired. So I work three jobs. I work, a, you know, two during the week and then one on the weekend. So I usually get home about 4 a.m. on um, Friday and Saturday morning. And um, well, Saturday and Sunday morning, technically. Let me switch that around. So um, top of mind is there's two weeks left in the election. There's so much to do, so much we're trying to get done to make sure that we win this race. And, you know, like you had pointed out, like looking at the work that I've done, the advocacy that I've done, you look at all that and that's not what you would think of when you think of a politician, because we live in a country that kind of sends out the message that you have to be a certain breed of person. You have to be born into a certain family, come from a certain background, um, have gone to very specific schools and then have had specific jobs interning for this one and that one and the other one. You're not- what I you're what I dream of when I think of a representative. <laughs> Thank you. Not a politician, by the way, but like a representative. Oh, right. Exactly. And see, and that's the difference is that I'm not a politician. Um when I got into politics, it happened organically through all of the work that I've done, mm. building relationships, helping marginalized communities. And through all of that, I built a lot of relationships with politicians. Some I completely aligned with and became good friends with. Some I don't align so much with them, but it's still good to have that relationship because sometimes they can help you get things done that need to be done for people that need it. And so I had some of them start to say, when are you going to run for office? And I I would always laugh because I'd be like, wait a minute, hold on, me run for office? I curse, I drink, I'm very open about my history, who I am, where I'm from, what my experiences have been. You know, I've, I've done survival sex work and, you know, I've done drugs and I've done all these things. Usually politicians don't admit to any of that until they're in court after they're elected. And so... <laughs> It's true. <laughs> this is the new age and <laughs> yeah, people, and people like, are learning right? to be super positive about their past because it's the struggle that people are <laughs> relating to, you know? Yes. And that's, the, that's the problem. We don't have enough people not even running in this, in my race. And I'll say this openly, the people running in my race, they don't know what real issues are. They don't know what marginalized communities truly experience. They do a lot of talking about it and they, you know, they know how to use the key words and the key phrases, mm-hmm. but I want to know what, what is your lived experience? And then what work mm-hmm. have you done to help change those situations for other people that have similar experiences? And so I will put my resume up against anyone's. Um, Unfortunately, that's an uphill battle, especially being a woman, being trans, um, that people just, oh, she's just an advocate. Oh, she's just an activist or, you know, she's just a community leader. 
And it's like, whoa, um, actually I am one. I'm not just a community leader. I'm out here fighting for all marginalized communities. Don't box me into the trans community or the LGBTQ community because my work goes way beyond that. Um, you're an yeah, advocate and just, in health. You're an advocate in healthcare in a way that yeah. people don't give you enough credit for currently. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, my experience working in public health, all of the issues there. Yeah, you know, everybody talks about healthcare as one of the, the key issues. Who's actually done the work? And you know, that gets a little frustrating sometimes. And mm-hmm. that's okay to be frustrated. It, it you know, it is it is mm-hmm. what it is. And we just recently here in Philadelphia, we had an incident at one of our um, uh, one of our LGBTQ owned and operated bars, where a bouncer that is subcontracted through a security company punched somebody who was outside who um, had just been put out of the club for being too drunk, and that punch ended up with that young man dying. And so everybody is on, you know, everybody runs the social media and they give their opinion or they give their thought or their criticism or, you know, whatever. And I haven't yet. I haven't said anything about it yet, but I've been doing the work behind the scenes because one thing about me is that I don't jump on bandwagons. I'm not reactionary. I breathe. I take a minute. I try to talk with everybody involved so that I can figure out exactly what happened before I get involved to see how I can help. And so like now I'm getting called out on social media. Oh, at Deja for PA hasn't said anything. She, you know, what kind of leader that's connected to the community hasn't responded to this. And I had an event there apparently right after the incident happened, but the incident wasn't public yet. And so they're, you know, they're talking about that. And uh, my thing is this, that as a leader, you're not a follower. See, there's a difference between leaders and followers. Followers see somebody else post something, they start posting stuff. Everybody's talking and making a a thing out of a situation and they don't even know the facts. Mm -hmm. Or they also don't recognize that when you do something like that, what kind of harm it can cause. Right. Mm -hmm. But we, but we love to be the first ones to be right. Like we saw it before everybody else. I knew Steely Dan was a thing before Steely Dan was a thing. Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly it. And so even my, even my, um, my comms manager is like, we got to get a statement out. I said, calm down. You know, I'm not reactionary. I'm already, I, I have a meeting. As soon as we hang out from here, I have a meeting with the owner of the club and some of the protesters, people that had gone out and protested them. I set that up. I've been in talks with the security company that employed the, the the young black man that threw the punch. What people aren't thinking about is that when we do stuff like this, it affects so many lives, not just the victim. It's horrific what happened to him. He lost his life. Now a family is forever affected. Now a family of the person that threw the punch is forever right. affected. Mm-hmm. Now That's we have... Right a bar that employs a lot of people, including black and brown people. They do a lot of like drag shows and they employ a lot of the trans community there and people make their living there. But people aren't thinking about that. While everybody's calling for a boycott, they're not thinking that you're putting black and brown people out of work, which is the last thing we can afford to do in this country. Mm-hmm. While they're calling for the security company to be to be fired, everybody break their contracts with them. This security company employs several hundred black and brown people. Now, do we put all of them out of work because what one did? 
And so they just came out of a pandemic. We're just coming out of a pandemic. We're just finally getting out there again. Absolutely. And as someone who is seen as a leader, I act as a leader. Listen, you know, you want to pay attention. My opponent wrote this thing on Facebook, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. They wrote this thing on Facebook. I'm busy behind the scenes on the phone, meeting with people, trying to figure out how do we not correct it, but how can we move forward in an empathetic, compassionate way while also making sure that we don't end up putting a bunch of people out of work, particularly black and brown people. Absolutely. I think one of the biggest issues that, you know, I, especially like, you know, we hear this a lot from the right side, you know, is, is, you know, everybody's out to just try and get their thing on the media, their thing on the media, their thing on the media. And the media really does contort a lot of things because, you know, as we've talked about on here, you know, outrage sells eyeballs. Yes. And, and oftentimes, you know, especially having worked in, in civil and criminal defense, these things are so much more nuanced than, you know, the 10 second sound clip that somebody's going to play and then, you know, eventually write this long tweet or Facebook post about. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, realistically, like, you know, is it, is it awful that a human life was lost? Yes. Absolutely. There's that it's terrible, but at the same time too, it's like, if you, if you don't stem the outrage there's going to be a lot more loss than just one life and and it's i don't mean that as just one life because that life was precious but there's going to be a lot more fallout and having somebody actually work behind the scenes and try to bring community together is far more important than just making sure that you're your 10 second post is out there on the ether to get forgotten in you know what five weeks Mm -hmm. and some bouncer is going to hold himself accountable for the rest of his life for that. That's what we said about Kyle Rittenhouse. In the end, alone in the dark, he's going to suffer his his pains. And that's an issue. And he's going to adjust for that. That bouncer's never going to do that again. And nobody he knows will ever do that. And that's the accountability portion. It has to come from the point of contact on up. And then Deja's involvement to just be a, a neutral sort of listening board and sounding yes. board because breaking news solutions save lives, right? There's your, there's your organic viral moment <laughs> and it's those true. things that not all of that happens in public. And so, yeah, see, there are the people that post on their social media breaking news and then, mm-hmm. but they're not the people that are actually doing the work. Right. They're the people looking for that little two or three or five or 10 seconds to get that attention. Mm-hmm. And they're not concerned with, as you mentioned before, the fallout from this. So who's going to be affected if we continue moving in the direction that we're going right now? And that's going to be a lot of innocent people mm-hmm. that need jobs, that have to support families, that have to pay their rent, that have to feed themselves. And I am not, again, I'm not somebody that's reactionary. I learned over the years that when something like this happens, you have to step back for a moment, take a breath, think it through, and then start moving forward. And unfortunately, you know, we just, we live in a time where a lot of people are like, like people were sending me the posts yesterday. They were like, look at this, you should respond. I'm like, I'm not responding to that. I don't have to respond. People saying, oh, someone who's supposed to be so connected. I have two decades worth of work to show how connected I am to the community. Right. I don't have to prove it. To <laughs> right. There you go. And like, that's, 
and and what what is what do most of these other people have in terms of connection to the community you know how many of them have actually you know been a part of or or you know actively been there as an advocate Making or an ally change at all right. exactly yeah. it's 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 really frustrating because you see this constantly you know oh i'm so connected to the community and then you'll vote these people in and then they actively do things that you're like I thought you were connected to this community. You, if you were, you would know that this is what we need, not we're whatever you're doing Jeffrey, over there. Compromise for the longer, better good. We're going to compromise on this point to get Except, progress later. Yeah, well, that's the problem is, is that <laughs> if the compromise is I'm going to do whatever I want and thanks for voting for me. Yeah, that's not compromise. Yeah, well, no, but, but, yeah like exactly. The compromise is I want the attention. I want the sound bite. I want mm. the acknowledgement. I want all of this, but I haven't put in the work. Right. To do that. I had news outlets contacting me, you know, all through last week. And, you know, I know a lot of them. So I took their call, but I said, you know, I'll have to get back to you because right now I don't have a comment. Right. And it's because I'm not going to, everybody is already saying, oh, this is terrible. We have to do something. We have to, mm. do, why do you need one more person saying that? Yeah. You I don't. Just, what I you just, need is someone working towards a solution. That's I, what I wish the chorus was solutions. People saying, why can mm -hmm. we try this? Can we fund this? Can we do more of this instead of, ah, you know? So my initial thought was, can we have like a lounge area for people that are too drunk waiting for a ride home so that they're not the, the bouncer's responsibility outside. But that was just initially without even examining the situation. Yeah. But if you had a hundred people offering solutions like that, you would, you would have a better choice than who to listen to about their yes. outrage and anger. Yeah, exactly. And a lot there of times, so, so that's what was on my mind today. Hey, a lot, you know a what? lot of politicians fantastic. are really good on Twitter stating something, <laughs> but then if you ask them and then what they're not, they never respond. So what I do appreciate is you as a candidate coming here, because I, I believe there's a connection that needs to be made between representative and represented. And that's the communication thing. And so mm -hmm. I really appreciate you being here. I don't know how to express that we're a friendly, fun audience. We just want to, <laughs> we just want to meet the people that are going to be representing us. And so mm -hmm. a, there's a key phrase that's coming out and I don't know who's starting it, but constituency interaction engagement is just mm -hmm. this amazing thing how are you and what i always want to know is how do you want the people that are voting for you to communicate with you once you are in office what's the best way to mm. go through the process instead of just going on twitter and saying fix my problem you didn't fix my mm -hmm. problem how do you actually want to engage with people I, you know, I want to be around. I want to be available just like I am now. Listen, on any given day, I'm walking down the street and I run into people. They're like, wait, you're, and I'm like, yeah, um, yeah. you know, but I, I'm here all the time. I'm at all the restaurants. I'm at the bars. I'm walking down the street. I'm going to the mm -hmm. park. I'm doing the same thing that everybody else is in community. And I think that that's important too. I want people to, um, yeah, they're going to have to call the office. Yes, they're going to have to, you know, depending on what the issue is, whether it's something they need to talk with me about or whether it's one of my staff is going to be able to, um, you know, get them what it is that they need. And one of the things that I've already built with my campaign staff who is going to go into office with me is that constituency services is a priority. And what I want is to make sure that we are a resource. So 
a lot of people don't know the difference between like what a state rep can do versus a city council person versus, you know, somebody else. But what I want to make sure that my office does is that we have those resources and those connections. So even if it's not something we can do, we don't just say, well, here's a number, call them. Mm-hmm. We say, okay, so here's who can actually help with that. We will reach out to them first. We will then make that connection for you. And then we will also follow up to make sure that you got the help that you needed afterwards. And when you call or you send an email to the office, it will be a 24-hour turnaround. You will get a phone call back, whether it's from me or one of the staff, or an email back, whether it's from me or one of the staff. And then we will you know, move forward with, with trying to help you in whatever it is that, that we may or may not be able to help you with. Right. I also want people to understand we're not miracle workers, and we're not going to be able to fix everything. We're not going to be able to address everything. Um, and some things are not going to happen immediately immediately it's it's unfortunately a, a very politics and bureaucracy are a very slow moving beast but nothing we, nothing happens immediately but you have to start the motion for it to ever get yes. anywhere <laughs> right right and i tell people i already work in constituency services cool. all the work that i do when people call me i need to get back to them quickly because i don't know what their situation is they could be in danger they could be extremely sick and need to see a doctor mm-hmm. they could you know be starving you know or be hungry and maybe not have eaten for the last two days um they may need medication they may you know there may be a problem with law enforcement there may be like all of these issues i'm kind of that resource that helps people get through it whether it's with the police or probation and parole or court or they need an immediate appointment with the doctor or there's a prescription that ran out, they're not going to be able to see the doctor to get another prescription. So we need to be able to do that virtually and get it done quickly. Or they may need help paying for a prescription, whatever it is. Um, there's a There needs to be a quick turnaround time. And that's the work I've been doing for years. So it'll be the same way, you know, going into my office. No, it will not just be me doing it. But I will make sure that we have a staff that is capable of doing it and understands that that is important and it's a priority. And, you know, being part of the community to me is also, I I have people that I've known 25 years that I still see all the time and they're, they always laugh and joke and they're like, you know, it's so funny because being around you now, you haven't changed that much from back then when we all used to run the streets and stuff. And I'm like, (laughs) yeah, no, I'm still me. That was me back then. That's me now. The only difference is I'm doing different work. And, and that's it. I don't, I don't have to just survive anymore. Now I'm trying to make sure I help other people thrive, not just survive. It's important. People people are learning to think that survival is the baseline we need to deal with. What's up, Jeffrey? I, you know what, I want to dig in on a couple of things with Deja Mm -hmm. because I feel like, you know, this is, it's a rare chance that, you know, everyday people get to ask some, some really tough questions especially especially on the on the last leg of of an election journey and you know we got a couple of major issues in this country right now um i'm gonna start with the economic side because like i'm sitting here looking at your platform you know and i you know you've been out there you've seen what's going on so tell me what is it that you're looking at when you're looking at the issue with economic opportunities in in your area So in this particular district, there's a lot of businesses in this district. 
Um, this is one of the highest income districts in the entire Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Um, but there's a lot of small businesses here, people that don't live here, but they own a business here. And what I'm hearing from people right now is there are a lot of, a lot of these businesses were hit very hard by the pandemic. Some of them were either too small or there was some other disqualifying thing where they didn't have any access to the pandemic relief funds mm -hmm. for what was supposed to be for small businesses. Right. Um, we all know how that went. And now <laughs> they have huge tax bills due and they're terrified because they don't know how they're going to pay these taxes. And so I think we need to be taking another look at some uh, a pandemic relief um, plan that is strictly for these smaller businesses that didn't have access to the the pandemic relief funds. I think that and and one of those those things is honestly it's just tax relief. Mm -hmm. But we have to be very careful that we're giving tax relief to the actual small businesses. We make these tax relief things too general, and then right. the larger companies or larger businesses can access them. Mm -hmm. No, this needs to be for the people that are, you know, maybe they only have six employees, or it's just them and their spouse, or them and their partner, or them and, you know, a family member running the business. They lost their income and their livelihood, too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And but now they still owe taxes and 50 billion dollars of that relief that was going to go to small businesses went rolled back into the next bill because nobody used it because nobody knew how to access it. And also, not only that, but the majority of that pandemic, those trillions of dollars went to big companies, mm -hmm. big companies were getting those big checks. Yeah. And, and they're. I feel like there should also be some accountability. I think well, they knew how to absolutely. access it. They have the lawyers to access so it. Even nobody if they else did. It, I think they should not be eligible for the loan forgiveness. I feel like those larger companies should have to repay that loan. Like some of the smaller businesses are eligible for the loan forgiveness. I don't think those larger businesses, like we can't go back and say, hey, you shouldn't have got it, whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. But going um, forward, yeah, but going forward, um, I think that we need to make sure that, no, they don't get the loan forgiveness. Nope, you have to pay it back. I'm not saying we can't work out a payment plan with them, but no, they they should not um, get that money free and clear. And we should be offering tax relief to these small mom and pop, what we'll call mom and pop businesses oh, right. that ha are still suffering. And now they may have survived the pandemic and now they may end up going out of business because they have a large tax bill. You know, it's, and that's the thing is like, that's not an issue that's unique to just your district. I mean, out here in Olympia, Washington, we saw the same thing happen where, you know, you'd have these large companies that came and they got all of these huge loans from, you know, the PPP, but these small companies struggled to even, you know, get anybody on the phone to help them apply yeah. for this stuff. Right. And then, you know, after two years of, you know, limit or after a year of limited availability, you saw a mass shuttering of businesses and those who didn't shutter were already just dancing on the edge. Yeah. And the fact is, is, is that without, you know, the rollback of a lot of these, you know, lockdown metrics, those businesses would have got under two. And, and ultimately I think that was partially part of the driver of why we saw things open up the way that we did. And we did these weird yeah. targeted openings and closings. It's because we lost so many small businesses that will never be recovered. And we 
we're about to lose many, many more. So I, I do agree that, you know, a lot of these companies that post record, you know, they're large organizations, they post record profits year after year. And, you know, like, for example, when the Lakers got a small business loan, I'm like, I'm sorry, the Lakers are a small business. Well, I, I think that that's the other thing, right? Like we can go back and track whoever got this money. And we need to just put that up against the list of the corporations that did report record profits mm -hmm. and say, wait a minute. So they got money during this? Also, we're not looking at the price gouging that's happening right now. Yeah, there's that. <laughs> Everybody's using the, the excuse of, oh, it's the pandemic, it's the pandemic. So everything has jumped by, you know, in price by 30% or 40%, depending on the item. Mm -hmm. And yet their profit margins aren't down. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that's another thing. Like, you know, we, during the pandemic, I remember a lot of these small little local um, corner stores that had masks and had um, hand sanitizer and they were selling it for 10 and $15. Boy, they went right up in there and shut them down. But these yep. big companies that are price gouging the entire country are getting away with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's essentially, it comes down to like a, a too big to regulate or, you know, too many donors to regulate or something, you know, that's pretty much, I, I, I've always, I, I've always joked, but it, it's become less and less of a joke. I think most of us would be fine with lawmakers getting, you know, lobbied the way that we do if they wore, you know, jackets like they did in NASCAR and they show us who all their sponsors are. And that way we can go, yeah, that one. I, I okay. You're sponsored by them. I can't. I can't do that. Mm -hmm. I used to you think know? so, and then Katie Porter said, "I proudly don't take donor money from lobbyists." And I said, "So it can be done." So <laughs> no, it can I be no done. I no longer agree. I no longer agree. But that's it, a, it, that's a national issue to me. Is that a local problem? Yes. Oh, absolutely. So, money in politics, the way that money is raised, who it's raised from, who has access to it, who gets backed, um, that absolutely is a problem. We we do need to change some of these policies um, when it comes to raising money because we have too many, um, like you said, lobbyists and too many corporations and companies and churches and all of them that are investing all these money in candidates so that these candidates will do their bidding. And, you know, let's just bring, let, let's talk about religion for a minute. Let's talk about separation of church and state. Ooh, hi, Jeffrey. Hey. <laughs> Any church that has anything to say publicly, politically should be paying taxes, period. I don't disagree. It's that's and that's the thing is again that's actually very common in other countries where you know if churches are involved politically they're getting taxed on it you know personally I you know I'm the kind of person where I, I very strongly view that religion and state need to be separated you know, for the greater good of society and to me that's like, not just a belief it's in our constitution well it's supposed to be but here we are yeah but all those same people that are always screaming our constitution our constitution until you say what about separation of church and state and then they're like oops well we not mean? like that <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly you know and, and then, i don't think politicians should be able to run off of religious values i, I don't wish disagree. that they wouldn't i wish that they wouldn't well, and it's, it's, you're not, it, that's not, it's supposed to be separation of church and state. Uh -huh. So your religious values should not be pushed upon everybody else. 
like you know and that's and i think you know i don't really have a whole lot of great things to say about joe biden but i have i have more positive things to say than the last administration um and realistically you know growing up catholic knowing joe biden's catholic i guarantee you that you know joe biden is probably very much anti-abortion but in his career public policy he's very much you know pro-choice and and i think a lot of people tend to forget it's like that's how you separate the religious and the state part of it is is that you know in his in his view it is not government's responsibility to determine what a person can and can't do with their body from a religious aspect you know damn good and well that he's on the same boat and and believes that abortion is a terrible thing it's just that he has reconciled that with the idea of separation in church and state. Which is what a politician is supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, It's like we as a society are pro-choice. Like it doesn't matter who we as the individual are <laughs> for the greater good. We as a society are pro-choice because we're always marching towards equality or the hope and dream or fairy tale of it. And trying to achieve it is the goal, not <laughs> going backwards. I was thinking that today, like if Republicans just spent as much time and effort um, creating an inclusive party as they do trying to like wedge everybody apart, they would be a grand old party, you know, who the Republicans. Yeah. If they spent well, more time trying, if they spent more time building a tent as they do isolating people out of it and the money they spend just trying to divide us, if they spent all that for a greater good, they would be a greater party, you know, but I have a, I have a, I have a pushback for that. Hmm. The money they spend, they spend to divide us, the Democrats on the left. Right. They are united in what they are trying to do. Agreed. Their Mm -hmm. money is well spent because they succeed Mm. in dividing us. Because Mm -hmm. just like there's the extreme right, there's the extreme left. And the extreme left, the super progressives, the the moral, you know, code of, of the Democrats, um, of the left side are very much the same way. You either fall in line or we ostracize you and we go up against you. Or we're going to so, beat you with flagpoles. I don't think there's a real comparison. Antifa climbed the statue of Liberty to raise awareness. Um, like the right doesn't do that. They're, they're, no, no, no. You know no, what I mean? What I'm, but what I'm saying though, is that they, the Republicans do succeed in coming together to divide us. And the mm-hmm. thing is, I'm not, I'm not going after you because we don't align 100%. Hmm. That's my point. Like, I'm not going, like, you know, do I agree with some of the tactics from even Antifa? No. Do I I agree? agree. Do I, do I disagree with some of their tactics? Yes. Do I agree with a lot of their tactics? Yes. I just don't like the other sidesism because one side is trying to play within the rules and, and, and voice their complaints. And one is trying to change the rules and I, without permission. So I don't like the radical equalization because they're not, it's a, it's the difference between an undercooked steak and a poisonous steak to me. Well, I don't want either one, but both of them can make you sick. Exactly. Exactly. I don't like, I don't want either one, but I definitely don't want the poisonous one. And and that's the thing though. That's the thing is that we are spending so much time fighting with each other Mm -hmm. that we're not Mm -hmm. coming together to fight 
the the real exactly. war. We're exactly. busy battling with each other. And like, I don't want to fight with anybody on the left just because we don't agree on every single thing or because yeah. you don't like the way that I do things. Like, okay, all of my work with, with the police, all of my work with the police comes out of me and my community being abused for decades by the police. Agreed. For mm-hmm. decades. Agreed. My advocacy started when I pushed back one night after a fight with the police. After years and years and years of being harassed mentally and emotionally, physically attacked, run over with bikes, almost run over with cars, beat up, falsely arrested, um, all of that stuff. And so I saw that, okay, we have to make a change in here. And so I've spent a lot of years helping make that change from inside. But there are people that are further on the left that come out against me and push against me and and do all of that. Oh, she's aligned with the police. And it's like, wait a minute, hold on. I'm not aligned with them. What I'm aligned with is while everybody's on the outside screaming and yelling, I'm the one that gets the phone call at three o'clock in the morning when someone gets, gets arrested or when someone is being harassed by the police, or if there's a murder that has happened and the police aren't um, dealing with it correctly. I'm the one that takes those phone calls. And then I pick up the phone and start calling people. And then I have meetings. Then I get everybody on the same page. And then I get the ball moving in the right direction. And mm-hmm. oftentimes it's just simply once people know somebody that has a little bit of a say, so, or is seen as having a little bit of power, or whatever is watching what they're doing, they do it right. Mm-hmm. And yes, accountability, I, I, transparency. I absolutely believe there's a place for the people that are outside on bullhorn, screaming and yelling, climbing, climbing, whatever, doing all of those things. I absolutely, absolutely believe in their right and that there is a place for that. But I have chosen because of my lived experience to look out for the people that are still caught up in these systems that we're going after Agreed. and to help make a change from the inside. And I don't think that we should be at war with each other because no. I'm not doing it your way or you're not doing it my way. Angry people still have an issue. Is the same, right? Yep. Like we're all trying to get to the same destination. We're just taking different routes. Right. Yep. And that's okay. And so that's what I mean, you know, when I when I do say stuff like that, Jason, yeah, oh, I get it. I have experienced it myself. It's not left right, it's more tax bracket. You know, when you're going up to somebody to solve a problem, it doesn't matter their political designation. You need them to solve the problem. Yes, exactly. Yes. And yep. that that's the other thing I get people that ask me all the time, well, how are you gonna work with people that you know are fighting for legislation against you? And I said, Well, I've been doing hmm. it for two decades decades now it's it's no different you're it's what are you gonna what are you gonna do you know what we're watching in the current political the federal climate is exactly that issue they're not working together and everybody's getting pissed off at each other and here we are at the midterms and you see a very real chance that you know things could swing towards the republican side in the house the fact of the matter is is that when people don't work together you don't get anything done and when when people don't get anything done they're like well screw it i guess we're going to try this other side here and see if they'll get anything done yeah. or just not at all yeah just i mean out. that's just tune out a lot of people that voted for trump that i have talked to that's what they said in the beginning they voted for him cuz they thought oh here's something different maybe he'll be able to get things done and i mean you know it turned into a shit show but um mm-hmm. 
it, yep. he, but he accomplished he made some accomplishments he did some things it's just he was such a yes such a shit show that nobody wanted to support that you know? <laughs> well it's, it's that whole blo- broken clock is right twice a day right that's the exactly. thing is, like you can get a couple of things right and still have the majority of what you do just be completely off the wall yeah, yeah completely wrong like listen right. like the pandemic wouldn't have i don't believe would have reached the level that it reached if we had had real leadership thank you in the white house thank Thank you. If we had monitoring overseas, it wouldn't have. I mean, it would have came here. We would have known what it was before it got here. You know. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and 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 as Jason and I have talked about, you know, one of the bigger things that Trump got right was cutting the red tape on making sure we could get the the vaccines moving forward Mm -hmm. as fast Mm -hmm. as possible. But outside of that. You know, this whole don't do anything, just let it run its course or, you know, in some cases, drink fucking bleach. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just like, what is happening? Yeah. You know, it wasn't leadership. It was like, you know, somebody thinking they're the smartest person in the room and having exactly zero qualifications. And, and, and I think yeah. that's what it highlighted for a lot of people looking at politicians, people who thought, you know, we see a bunch of people who think they're the smartest person in the room and they have exactly zero experience in the shit that they're trying to legislate. Right. It really is frustrating. Tell me what part of Deja's life Donald Trump even knows exists. <laughs> you know what I mean? None. 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 None at all. What is None it like to be a Latino all. in America? Oh my gosh. What's it like to be a transgender person in America? Oh my gosh. What's it right like to be an advocate for all of that down on yeah. the ground? I, yeah. Yeah. That's why I'm like, people are like, well, Deja, I just don't know because, you know, it's going to be difficult for you in Harrisburg. And I don't know that you're going to be able to handle it. And I said, oh, well, mm-hmm. you know, okay. Well, that's, you know, the funny thing is, you know, me from all of my work. How, how do you think I managed to get all of that done? I got all of that done because I know how to work with people like that. I know that, you know, I knew walking into these rooms originally two decades ago, these spaces were not places that people ever saw a transgender person and never wanted one in there. And here I am in these spaces. I didn't go in there. I wasn't combative. I wasn't screaming and yelling and throwing things and saying, you're going to listen to me. I went in there. I listened to what was going on, assessed the situation, figured out the best way that I could help in this space who I could build a relationship with, who I needed to to give the time to adjust to me being there. And that's what happened. I ended up building all of these incredible relationships because I had to put my personal emotions and feelings. Quick story. One of my biggest abusers in the Philadelphia Police Department in the 90s and early 2000s, I now work with on a regular basis with community stuff. Whether it's during the holidays, providing, you know, um, meals and stuff for communities, whether it's clothing drives, whether him and his wife just have a bunch of clothes they're trying to get rid of. Um, When I was doing, when I did the food distribution for the undocumented immigrant communities during the pandemic, he gathered a bunch of other officers up to help me unload and load the trucks and vehicles. And so... I had to work with this. I'll never forget the feeling I had when I'm sitting across the table from him when I first started doing this work. And he started talking and I looked at him and I realized who it was. 
I can't even describe the sensation that went through my body because everything in me wanted to jump up and start throwing chairs. I understand that. Mm. This is a man that abused me so horribly for years um, that at one point, like my own family was begging me to leave Philadelphia because they were afraid I was going to end up dead, that the police were going to kill me. That's how bad it was. And now here I am sitting across the table from this man in a different capacity. But I had to give him an opportunity. I had to see what he was talking about. And so it was a slow, you know, it it was a slow process. But now we have this friendship. I I had um, two weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago, I was walking home. It was like 3.30 in the morning. I had just finished work. And there was a big fight, get ready, breakout on one of the blocks walking home. I called him. He was home in bed, but he answered the phone for me. He's like, hey, you okay? What's going on? And I was like, hey, are you on duty? He's like, no, I'm home. I'm like, okay, can you call somebody else? Because there's a big fight brewing right at the corner of this and this. And so if somebody gets there before it gets bad. And so that's how you solve this stuff is by getting there before it gets bad. Yes. But but to think that I call this man at 3.30 in the morning and he sees it's me and he answers the phone to make sure I'm okay or see what I need or is somebody in trouble. That shows that, yes, in the 90s and the early 2000s, he was horrible. He was he definitely, you know, had a bias towards our community, but he's grown and changed. And you we have to give space for people to grow and change if they are willing to so so this is something that gets talked about especially a lot in 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 our house is restorative justice have you two ever sat down and had the conversation of what your lives were like in in the 90s and 2000s and how you got to where you are now have you have you two had that conversation no no we haven't we haven't sat down and had that conversation and uh, you know the committee that i was a part of at one point whenever the deputy commissioner of police or if there was a new high-ranking police official that would attend one of the meetings, I would use him and I as an example. And I would say, hey, here's an example of the work that we do. And I would say, you know, listen, this guy was horrible to me back in the day. And now here we are solving things together. And at one point, the head of the committee, before I ended up heading it up, had came to me and they were like, listen, you have to stop doing that. And I was like, excuse me? They said, you have to stop because you're throwing him under the bus. I said, I'm not throwing him under the bus. I'm trying to make sure these high ranking officials understand that that the work we're doing is real and that it's important because this is the relationship we used to have. Now, here we are working together to solve problems. This is the example. This is the example. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And so I was I was. Oh, God, I was so angry, but I didn't respond in the moment because I wanted to. I wanted to be like, you know what? You can F all the way off. How dare you? (laughs) That is what I experienced. You didn't have to experience that. And then like a week or two later, the person called me. They were like, you know what? I owe you an apology for saying that to you. That was wrong. And I said, well, thank you. I appreciate that. But, you know, everybody knows I'm not trying to throw them under the bus. It's a time and place thing. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, and I think that's one of the one of the greater issues that we we we're we're experiencing now too is the idea that somebody can be a, a real shithead, you know, back in the day, be abusive, be a monster, mm-hmm. but are they capable of growth and and are they deserving of that, you know, forgiveness and that inclusion into communities that they abused? Right. And I mean, that's neither here nor there for someone like me to to be able to discuss. I think that's it's all about how 
a person comes in and tries to write, you know, they not write their past wrongs, but grow so yes. that way they show others how to do it properly. Yeah. A lot of it is they do not know. Some of it is that it's who they are, but most mm-hmm. of it is they just do not know. And I always thought long form conversation like this would let people listen and then realize oh, there's a transgender person that doesn't have devil horns that's trying to eat me or whatever it is they think that transgender people are. They can listen and they can be like, oh, she's cool. Okay. So when they when they encounter you in person, they're like, hey, you're cool. You know, that's how they come into it. You know, so I really it's it's funny. I just had that situation with a big union leader here who, um, you know, of course, we know who each other is, but we had never interacted with each other. And we happen to be in the same space. They endorsed my opponent and they they were coming in saying hi to everybody. And so I was being a little bit of a smart ass and I reached my hand out and I was like, hey, and I said, said his name, you know, Deja. And he just looked at me. He was like, Deja, like, I don't know who you are. And I started laughing. I said, hey, just want to make sure, you know, like just kind of open up the line of communication because, yeah, you endorsed my opponent, but like there's no need for us to be uncomfortable with each other. Right. When you win, you're going to have to work with them anyway. Yeah, exactly. So we ended up talking and we did. There was a little there was a few things exchanged. We went back and forth a little because he he is in a very powerful position. And I think he thought maybe that I was um, groveling. Uh, yeah, not as quick on my feet as I am. Ah, uh. and so we had a few exchanges, and then he kind of started laughing, and then he pulls up a chair and he sits down, and we start talking, and then like towards the end of the conversation, looks at me and goes, "You know what?" He goes, "You're not what I thought you were going to be," and and I started laughing. I said, "Oh, really?" He was like, "Yeah." He said, "You know how you hear some things about people, and then mm-hmm. so you kind of have this notion of who they're going to be." I said, "Oh," I said, "I get that a lot." Yep. He goes, "Yep." Yeah. He said, he said, he was like, yeah, I like you. He's like, you don't, you don't give a F. And I said, no, I give as good as I get. I'm not afraid of anyone. Like, of course you, know. you give an F. It's just what you give an F about. Right. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah. so, you know, now him and I are cool. Like now we've had that interaction and we exchanged right. a few jabs and, you know, joked around with each other. And, and it, you know, he's like, I, I like you. And I was like, well, thank you. Like, and that's, and that, that's what you have to do. That's what yes. you have to, that's your role Absolutely. in life. That's your, that's your cross to bear is yeah. to be the first one to walk. I'm visually impaired and it's my cross to bear to walk up and hear people say, so you're blind, huh? And have to repeat the same <laughs> thing at nausea to 50 people at a party. You, It's your cross to bear to just do that. And so, yeah. You're making the path easier for the people that follow is the way I say it to my disabled friends. So thank you Mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. That's the whole idea. It's the whole idea. So I'm I'm going to get rich being in politics. I'm interested in education, but I'm wondering if Jeffrey has any, any better questions. Well, you know, I mean, I've got a lot of questions and I, what we only have you for about another 10 minutes, I think. Mm -hmm. So, so unless, we can, unless Deja wants to stay longer, that's up to them. Yeah, <laughs> is, yeah if, if Deja wants to stay longer, <laughs> absolutely. But you know, um, I think honestly, like hearing, you know, how we bring community together, especially like for you know some of the things that we've talked about. Food security is a big one for me. It's always yeah. been a huge one. Um, it's something that we talk about frequently, and you know, to me, especially knowing that you know, reading 
so many scientific articles about how, you know, when you have access to, you know, the proper mm. number of meals, kids perform better, adults perform better you have fewer people getting into trouble because you have regular access to food. I mean, it's just, I mean, there's a book called food for peace and the whole premise of the book was, is that countries are less likely to destabilize their leaders when they have reliable access to food. Who knew? Right. And so imagine, I mean, imagine, you know, and this is a military tactic book, you know, for, for crying out loud. So the idea that you couldn't, you wouldn't see that on a community level where, you know, if you had reliable access to food, you would have a lot fewer issues. And, and so I guess in your experience, you know, where do you see food insecurity at in, in all of the issues that you have literally borne witness to? So food insecurity definitely plays a big part of it, but it's, you know, again, I say that that's the, um, that's the difference between surviving, right? Like when, when people are in survival mode, constantly all the time trying to find a place to lay their head trying to find something to eat trying to um you know be warm trying to get out of the rain trying to whatever it is that they're trying to do if that is what they spend their life doing they never learn like the life skills the skills on how to live so if we just provide these resources to people it allows people the space to kind of grow and become what you know, the, what a lot of people would say is, you know, a productive citizen. And I I don't like that term myself, but I use it because other people recognize it. Mm. It's really hard to be productive when you spend every day trying to figure out what you're going to eat, where you're going to lie your head, make sure you're not getting arrested, make sure you're not getting attacked by people just walking down the street because they may recognize that you're a trans person or, you know, making sure like a lot of undocumented undocumented immigrant people are targets of crimes survival is exhausting yeah Yeah. because people know that they are afraid to go to the police so i have also spent a lot of my time building those relationships so that when something does happen i had to i had to walk a young man into um Um, special victims um, a couple of months ago who had been the victim of, of basically like a date rape and nobody, um, nobody knows about his sexuality. So he couldn't, you know, have them come to his home. He couldn't. So I had to arrange all of this stuff so that he could still report the crime because it was a crime. And this person was probably targeting other people. Mm -hmm. And, um, when you are someone that is so marginalized that the laws are against you, access to healthcare is against you, um, you know, access to jobs is against you. How do we expect them to then um, go down the right path? What I, one of the things I say right now, what we need to restore to these communities where we're seeing all this gun violence, we need to restore hope. Because they've lost hope. And that is exactly why they are on the path that they are. And it is not their fault. That they lost hope. It is our fault as a society that we do not prioritize making sure that the most marginalized have access to the resources necessary to live an actual fulfilling life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But with food, food diversity, right? Food security isn't enough. We need food diversity. You have, do you have food deserts in your area? So, um, 
We no, not in, in my district. Absolutely not. Okay. Um, like I said, this is a very high end district, but in That's other right. parts of the city. However, I will say this and, um, you know, I'm not plugging anybody, but I happen to be friends with this man. Now we built a great relationship. His name is Jeffrey Brown. And he opened up several uh, shop rights and, and uh, fresh grocers around the city. And he targeted those food deserts. He That's targeted incredible. the most marginalized areas. And it was a smart move. It was yeah. a smart business move. It was a great community move. He's constantly supporting different ideas and all of that so that we didn't have those food deserts around the city anymore. But yes, I will say this. I credit Jeffrey Brown with helping to all but eliminate food deserts around the city of Philadelphia. Jeffrey, we want to talk to you. Come on, come on Public Access America because we love solutions like that. Oh, I'll send it over to I'll, I'll send him the the in, the email information or send you guys his email I and mean, you can contact him. Food having food in your belly solves so many problems yeah. like a living wage would. <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. He's he's working on job programs. He's working on, you know, making sure that his people at least make twelve to thirteen dollars an hour minimum. I like that. Um, and then have access to getting to that fifteen, twenty dollar an hour point. All that like th this mm -hmm. man is he's smart, he's empathetic, he's compassionate. He is someone that, while not being marginalized himself, has a real uh, open mind and heart to those that are marginalized and how to fix situations. Okay, Yay. enough about Jeff, Jeff well, Brown, but I, I will connect it. you guys for sure because he'd Thank be a you. great person to have on the show. I love well, that. It, for me, it's you know these solutions, you know, spreading that information to all corners of the country. That's the kind of stuff that helps fix certain problems so that way we can prioritize other ones and that's right you know and and to me like someone someone like you deja who's like oh yeah i know a person who has <laughs> done this oh i know a person who you know people like you are are what help you're you're yeah. the kind of person who brings community together in in ways that you know a lot of people only talk about mm -hmm. yeah i uh, i'm a firm believer in in that and it, it's um it's worked well for its purpose. You know, it's, it's caused mm -hmm. me a lot of flack, but it's, it achieves its purpose. And as long as I stay focused on my purpose and what the purpose of this work is, I'm okay. The moment I lose focus of that, I, it's time for me to step to the side. So that's why I don't, you know, even earlier when I was telling you about those posts on Facebook and stuff like, yeah, I could have responded and been like, yeah, you're a jerk. What do you actually do for the community? <laughs> um, and I hope they hear this because they know who they are. That's so funny. <laughs> like, like Facebook has any relevance in today's society. Yeah, that's exactly. So, that's and so it's funny. Like, Fake know, internet yeah. points don't solve problems. Right? Yeah. I, I posted on my, uh, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just don't, I, it's not social media anymore. I, things are slowly evolving and I don't think a lot of people are seeing it. And, oh, no, I don't want to say they're e evolving. I want to say they're devolving. I, I would agree with Asia. I, I yeah. believe I believe in the positive size side of life. Shiva might rush us from one place to another and it might seem chaotic, but it's it's we're gonna land where we need to be. And you this is a you lot of a chaos. Bit like me. People always say, Well, you know, why don't you? And I'm like, listen, I believe firmly in the universe and energies and That's you know right. all that kind of stuff. And the universe is gonna guide me to where I need to be. That and that, that cop proves my theory. 
that you over time wore them down with just who you were and everything normalized and empathy was created even from the people that don't like you. So where yeah. can people uh, support you? I have you on Twitter, right? At Deja4PA, Deja4PA. Yes. And it's the same on Instagram. It's the same on Facebook. And then it's DejaForPA.com as well. Um, So on my social media, all except for Twitter, I have my personal and then my political or, you know, professional page, which is at DejaForPA. And then my personal is just my name, Deja Lynn Alvarez. Will you promise to come back? Absolutely. Will you promise to have me again? Yeah, of course. I hopefully you're, you're a representative and we're congratulating yes. you, but yes. in, in either case, you're going to, you're, you're there solving problems. It does, I hope you. you, I hope you're there to, to expand your abilities because that, I, I love who you are. I don't like politicians. I like representatives. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's true. So, I'm, in the, I'm in the same boat. So, thank yeah, you for I agree me. with you. I definitely agree with you. All right. Thank you. I know you have a meeting next, so I'm just going to yes. leave it at that. Okay. Thank you so much. Guys. So <laughs> Thank you, Deja. So good meeting you both. I hope to see you both soon. Uh, next oh, month. you will. You will see us again soon. Yeah. Okay, great. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. And that was interesting. Thank you for listening to Public Access America. You can find us anywhere you find your favorite podcasts on Spotify, Apple Podcasts. For our disabled listeners, try Victor Reader, Audible, or ask your smart device to play the episode. And you can check out our live streams every Sunday, noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific. Thanks for being here. To those who would tear the world down, we will defeat you. This is our moment. This is our time. To those who seek peace and security, we support you. Yes, we can. And to all those who have wondered if America's beacon still burns as bright, tonight we prove once more that the true strength of our nation comes not from the might of our arms or the scale of our wealth, but from the enduring power of our ideals, democracy, liberty, opportunity, and a yielding hope. Let me tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbow. Nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. Ask not. Yes, we can. What your country can do for you. I have a dream. Ask what you can do for your country. My poor little children. Yes, we can. One day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. In this lifetime, you don't have to prove nothing to nobody except yourself. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. To public public access access America. America. Yes, we can. Sunday live streams on YouTube. I wanted to run out of that tunnel for my dad. On Twitter. Twitter. Apple Podcasts. Podcasts. Stitcher Stitcher Smart Radio Radio Public. And Spotify. Yes, we can. Public Access America. History in the making. Making history in the making.